right away. So again, welcome to today's Bible study. We are looking, we're still continuing our series on spiritual exercise, and we're looking at the at prayer as a lifestyle or the lifestyle of prayer, right? Um, if you recall, two, two weeks ago, before we had our prayer session, I was um, proposing that we wrap up the series and then I record the rest, the remaining part of it and put on YouTube. However, after discussing with the team and also feedback from, from some of you um, in the community, um, we decided that it was best for us to take our time and finish it. But like one of the team members said, she said, Victor, we're not rushing anywhere. So we're right here. Okay, so I decided that we're going to take our time to finish it, finish the syllabus on, on this topic. Um, on that spiritual exercise, there are four practices you remember that I said we're going to focus on, or we're going to talk about rather. One was um, the study of God's word, which we did two weeks ago. Um, the second one is prayer, which we're doing now. Then there are two more, fasting and giving. All right, so we're looking at these practices as part of our spiritual exercise. All right, and if you are just joining us in this series or you missed any part of the previous um, study, please do well and go to our podcast you will get the whole um, teachings there, the whole Bible study. And it's really, um, really interesting and, and it's exciting. So please, I encourage you to go and listen to the sessions over and over again. Let me tell you something, right? There's something that listening again and again does to you. It opens your heart to other truth and information that you might have skipped. And this is very true because I practice, I practice this even for my normal Sunday service. For instance, the message that, um, was preached on Sunday. That same Sunday, I listened to it as soon as I got home. And it was like I heard new things that I didn't hear while I was in church. All right. So please I encourage you to go back again and again. There are several things that you will learn and you'll be blessed with. All right. Personally, in fact, just like um, Ida was saying before we started, personally, I also listen to the prayer sessions, especially myself. And it just does something to you. Even though I am the one leading the prayer, or, or I was the one leading the prayer. There's just something that the atmosphere of prayer does to your heart. It stirs you up to want to pray. All right. So I encourage everyone, please go back to the podcast and um, listen to them. You will be richly blessed. So I will drop the podcast um, podcast link before the end of our Bible study today. Okay. So back to our study, we're looking at spiritual exercise, the lifestyle of prayer. So join me as we read. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to verse 8. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to verse 8. Please, if you are there, go ahead and read for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. Please go ahead and read if you are there. Okay, let me read then. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. So this was Jesus Christ speaking to, you know, the disciples and a, and, a host of, and a host of other people, right? And Jesus Christ was saying that when you pray, you should not be like the Pharisees, right? Like the hypocrites, he calls them. He says, for the love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, meaning when they pray, um, their disposition is to stay in obvious places, right? And Joshua was teaching something here, that when you go to pray, 
if you're if you aim to stay in places where people would clearly recognize you as a prayer warrior, all right? And he says, don't do like that. And this is why he says so. He says that, um, let me take that sentence again. For the love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. So the aim of them going to the synagogues to pray and going to the corners of the street is so that they will be seen by men. And Jesus Christ gave a warning. He said, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Meaning that if someone aims to pray so that people can give him accolades for praying, then that those um, the recognition is already his reward for prayer, irrespective of what he's praying about or what he claims to be praying about. That public recognition of the act, act of prayer that people see you and say, ah, I mean, like they say it in Nigeria, or more, you they pray, or you they pray well. That public recognition of of prayer where they hail you to be a prayer warrior, all right, in itself is the reward. Meaning whatever you are praying for, you would not get the reward of what you are actually praying for. The eventual reward you get is just a recognition from men and women that you are praying, all right? And there's something in this verse five I want to point out um, as we begin. Jesus said in verse five, and when you pray, all right? He did not say if you pray, he said, when you pray, meaning that prayer is not an optional practice in Christianity. It's not, it's not something you decide to do or not. No, prayer is one of the practices that, that are constant in Christianity. All right. So Jesus Christ said, when you pray, meaning that you will eventually pray. There's no way you go around it. There's no negotiation about that. The only negotiation is now how you are going to do it. But by all means, you must pray. And this is important to note that as a Christian, prayer is not optional. And in fact, when you read from verse 5, <clears throat> from verse 5 down to verse 16, you see that there are four things Jesus Christ used when for, right? So just the same way he said when you pray, if you go to the beginning of, of the chapter, verse 2, he said, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and what else again? When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Yes, those three things. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Three things. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. So these three things are constant in our spiritual experience. You cannot negotiate them, right? You just need to know. You just need to be well informed in practicing them, but they are non-negotiable, all right? And so we're going to look at these um, three things further down. But today we're focusing on prayer. So prayer is a when, not an if, okay? Meaning that you would, you would have to pray. There, there is no, you know, you can decide whether you would wear a red shirt or a black shirt or a blue shirt, as the case may be. You, it's up to you, it's your choice. Today you might decide to wear a black shirt and then next, next you wouldn't wear a black shirt for the next two months. And then after two months, you come again and look for a black shirt to wear. But when it comes to prayer, it is a constant. You must wear you must wear prayer if, if prayer was a cloth, all right? So that's first thing I wanted to point out. Let's continue in our reading. Verse 7 now says, we are reading from um, Matthew chapter 6, verse, we are in verse 6 right now, sorry. Verse 6, not verse 7. Verse 6 says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father shall, thy father shall, um, which seeth 
in secret shall reward thee openly. All right? What this Jesus Christ was explaining through this verse is that prayer first starts from the private. All right? So prayer starts as a private practice before it ever becomes a public ministry. All right? Let me say that again. Prayer always starts as a private practice before it becomes a public ministry. So Jesus Christ said, when you, when you pray, go into your closet. And he was, in essence, he was saying, hide yourself. That that is where prayer starts from, all right? So your prayer begins from your, your secret place. And, and that's, where, that's where we get the word secret place from. It begins from the secret. So we are praying to your father. And the Bible also gives us the location of the father. Look at what he says in verse six. He says, <clears throat> and when you enter to pray, um, enter a closet, he says, when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. Unlike the hypocrites that go and pray outwardly so that people can recognize them to be, to be um, prayerful people, right? Jesus Christ says, when you pray, go to the secret and your father who is, who is in secret will reward you. Meaning that one of the location where you find God, right? Where you start to find God is in the secret place. So anybody who doesn't have a private prayer life can never find God. If all, if the only time you pray is when we come to church or when you are in a, in a meeting or you're in a fellowship, maybe like this, or you are in the midst of other people, if that is the only time, <clears throat> excuse me, if that is the only time you pray, you will never find God because your first encounter and experience with God, right, would grow from your, your private um, prayer experience. Right, so the secret place of prayer is where you find God. Of course, praying together with believers is super important and it has its role. And we're going to, we're going to touch on that towards the end of this um, um, study. All right, um, praying in in corporate what we call corporate prayers or corporate worship is also important and it definitely has its role. However, you must strengthen your private experience in prayer. Because that is where you would find God. That is where you encounter God. Anybody who encounters God has a secret prayer life, has a um, private prayer life, uh, if we'll call it that way. All right? Then let's continue verse... Okay, so one more thing in verse 6 I want to point out is that prayer has a reward. And this is super important to know, that prayer has a reward. You know, verse 5 tells us not to pray like hypocrites who pray in the public because they've gotten their reward. What that, what that insinuates is that prayer has a reward, but when you do it for public showmanship, then your, the public recognition becomes your reward. However, when you pray in the secret, the Bible says that your father who sees the secret will reward you openly. So when you go to your, to your, place of, your private place of prayer, all right, the Bible reveals to us that God recognizes and sees you in that place. And though your prayer is private, the reward to your prayer or the answer to your prayer will be public, all right? So your private prayer has a public reward. And it's very encouraging to know this because many times when we pray in, in, the, in our closet, when we can seek for people, when we spend time in fellowshiping with God, people don't, people don't see us, all right? And you might be in your room praying. In fact, your family members may not even see you while you are praying. But the Bible says that when your reward comes, even though your prayer was private, the reward will come in such a heavy magnitude that it will be impossible for the reward to be private. That means the reward will have an outward manifestation. 
However, your aim is to, is to keep, your, keep a vibrant um, private prayer life and God's responsibility is to reward you in the public, all right? And let, let, let me just say this, like, you know, have you ever noticed, maybe in school, right, in maybe university, you notice that maybe there was just this lady that wasn't really, if we should, you know, the Bible, the Bible says, man looks at the outward appearance, okay? So if we were to go by outward appearance, she didn't look like she was the finest of all the ladies, all, of all the sisters in the fellowship, or of all the um, ladies in your course or your department. But you notice that she, 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 she worked with God, all right? And then right after school, for some reason, she just married a very rich man or a very correct guy, a very influential person. And everybody looked at her at hand and in the honest conversations of their heart, they were like, but she's not really the finest. So how come did she have this, you know, kind of breakthrough in marriage? Permit me to put it that way. What happens is in those cases, most of those cases is that the person has been having a private prayer life, you know, private work with God. And then that private work with God resulted of, results of course in, into a wholesome marriage. And please, let me just clear the air here. I'm not saying if, if a lady doesn't marry a rich person, she, she, isn't, she isn't in her marital destiny. No, I'm just using that as an example, all right? <clears throat> so the private prayer of that sister, right, has now resulted into a public reward of an awesome marriage, all right? And this is true for so many other things, not just marriage. You can like, see people in school that they didn't look, they were not the smartest in class, right? They were not the most intelligent, but they had to work with God. And then after school, you see that their life just takes an upward trajectory beyond their physical competence. What results in that is usually a private practice in prayer, okay? So don't forget, your private practice will always be rewarded by God um, in the public. Um, verse, um, okay, let me just quickly read verse seven and eight. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for much for their much speaking. Verse eight says, "But um, verse eight says, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask." All right. So that's our first introductory scripture. Second scripture I want us to look at is James chapter five, verse sixteen to eighteen. Please read if you are there. James chapter five, verse sixteen to 18. James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Anyone there? All right, let me read it then. James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed, all right? So this first part talks about um, corporate prayers, about not just corporate prayers, but prayers of intercession where you are interceding for one another within a particular group, say within a community like this, okay? But that's not my emphasis for today. My emphasis starts from the second part of this verse. It says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the Bible, Bible begins to tell us that when the righteous pray, okay, that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much, meaning it produces results. It produces a lot of results, all right? And then if, to, to, to um, 
give us an example, a biblical example of prayer, he begins to make, make reference to a man called Elijah. And verse 17 says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. What this means is that Elijah had the same weaknesses, the same human tendencies as we are. And I believe that, you know, what James was trying to point out in this scripture was to show that prayer can be powerful, even if it is done by a man or a woman who is weak. That's with our earthly weaknesses, with our human um, insufficiencies, with our human deficiencies, right? We can still produce powerful results the moment we engage in prayer, okay? And one of the things, the whole book of James, you know, as, as, a, as a book, one of the things the whole book of James does for us is that it shows us how examples in scripture, right, um, were not, were the examples in scriptures we have were not superhuman people. They were humans just, just like you and I. And he makes, makes reference to Abraham. And we see how Abraham, even though he, as a man, right, he still worked with God and the results he, he got eventually. So in this context, he was making reference to Elijah. And he said, Elijah was not a superhuman. Pretty much that's what he was saying. He said, Elijah had the same feelings like that you and I have. If Elijah could, if you could feel hungry, then Elijah felt hungry. If you could, if you can feel um, um angry, Elijah at some point felt angry. If you feel discouraged, right? Elijah at some point felt discouraged. In fact, remember the story where he had just finished um, um, killing the prophets of Baal and then Jezebel came and threatened his life and Elijah ran. In fact, he ran so much that at some point he told his servant to go, leave him alone. He went and he, he, he went, um, came, lay, lay down under a tree and said to God that right now I am no better than my father. Just, just take me, just let me leave this world. That was the extent of his frustration because at that point he felt that he was the only person that was serving God and he felt the burden on him was too much. He felt that what is now the purpose of serving God if my life would be threatened. So Elijah felt discouraged. Elijah felt um, weak at some point and God had to come and speak to him and you know give him heavenly bread. bread. So James was making reference to Elijah to let us know that there was nothing inherent in Elijah that made him a superhuman. But this was the only difference about Elijah. And let's continue reading verse, verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, but he didn't end there. And let me just say this to you. Never use your weaknesses as an excuse not to pray. Rather, let your weaknesses be the more reason why you go to the place of prayer. Let me say that again. Never use your weaknesses as an excuse not to pray. Rather, let your weaknesses be the very reason you go to the place of prayer. All right? Let that be the reason, that the, the motivation that pushes you to the place of prayer. Because he says, Elijah was a man of like passions, like weaknesses like we are, but he didn't, he didn't end there. He says, and he prayed. He prayed earnestly. So in our human selves, we are weak. But prayer gives us a supernatural advantage, all right? And then he says, he prayed that earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Praise Jesus. So Elijah was just like you and I. Um, if there was, in fact, read the story of Elijah, there was economic, what we would have, what we would currently term economic meltdown, right? Elijah faced it because there was a time where there was famine on the land. Um, 
um, Elijah faced several, faced, threat means, faced several things, but the Bible says he prayed, he prayed. And if there's anything I want you to take from this is that don't let your weakness or your circumstance or whatever you are going through at the moment be the reason why you do not pray. Rather, your weaknesses or your current situations should fuel your, should fuel your desire to pray, okay? Um, let me just quote this scripture before I proceed. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. It says, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. What verse means is saying is that do not be anxious, meaning it is a human tendency to be anxious for whatever it is. Maybe you hear a, a, a you hear bad news rather from a loved one or from a for, from a friend, you might begin to get anxious. Uh, maybe you have a pending bill to pay and the, the timeline is fast approaching. You might begin to feel anxious, but the Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Rather, in everything by prayer and supplication, meaning the very reason why you should be anxious is the same reason why you should go to the place of prayer. Okay, so if someone comes and tells me, oh, Victor, I'm anxious about, you know, my marriage. I'm anxious that I might not marry the right, I'm, I might not marry the right person. So people have the fear that they may not marry right. And I'll tell you, okay, good. You have this anxiety about your marriage. Why not translate that anxiety into a prayer point? Because the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, in everything. So the same thing that will make you anxious, convert it as fuel to um, to pray, all right, as fuel in the place of prayer. Okay, so that is enough for an introduction. Now, next thing I want to say is this, as we proceed, that prayer first does something in you before it does something for you. Prayer first does something in you before it does something for you. What that means is that it first changes you before it changes your situation, okay? So, for instance, let me use my example of someone who is praying for, um, for his marriage. Let's say a, a guy comes to me and, and says, oh, Victor, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, with all the way ladies in the world and this generation are beginning to become, I'm afraid I may not marry a, a godly person, I may not marry the right person. And I'll tell the person, first take that consent to God in the place of prayer. When you go to the place of prayer, what will happen is that that practice of prayer will do something inside of your heart first before it ever does something for you, okay? Before it even gives you, before it provides the right spouse, you know, I, um, as this case is, right? It will first change something in your heart. Maybe it will first remove fear from you. Maybe it will first eliminate an unhealthy bias towards women. Maybe it will eliminate, eliminate a, a lie that you have believed for such a long time. Whatever needs to be done in your heart, Prayer will first and foremost do that thing in your heart before it does something for you, all right? So let's say we have someone praying that his business will grow or her business will grow, and then he goes to God to pray. What God will first do is that God will expand the person's heart to accommodate certain possibilities of growth before God now brings that growth into the person's business, all right? So let me say this again. Prayer first does something in you before it does something for you. It first changes you right, before it changes your situation. Never forget that. And that's why, again, let me make reference to the scripture I quoted, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in, but in everything, by prayer and petition, says, present your request to God, right? Someone will expect that after presenting my request to God, 
I should have my request met or have my needs met. But no, the next verse, verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So God's first response is not to even meet that your need. God's first response is to minister something inside of you. And that is what peace does. Peace changes the state of your heart before it changes your situation. All right? And for some of you, you are probably in a, in a phase where God is doing something in you, where you've been praying a particular prayer, you're praying something about a particular thing, and God is working in you, right, before that situation changes. And I want you not to be discouraged. I want you to recognize the way God answers prayers, okay? Don't be discouraged if the result has not yet manifested tangibly. What God is doing, what God may be doing at this point in time is, is working, doing something inside of you, changing something on the inside of you so that you can be perfectly aligned to his will, all right? So because of this, I want us in the next, I want us, right, for this study to focus on what prayer does inside of you, okay? Not just what prayer does for you. I, I know that you already know that prayer moves mountains. When you pray, um, God sends provision. When you pray, healing comes. When you pray, you get direction. When you pray, all of those things happen, all right? Which is fantastic. But I want us for this Bible study to look at what prayer does inside of you first before any external manifestation, all right? Okay, so before we continue, if you are with me, I just want to be sure you're hearing me and you're with me and you can see me clearly. Give me a thumbs up, drop a comment in the chat. Let me know we are together in this, our Bible study, all right? So go ahead, let me know if you're with me. Okay, I see thumbs up. I see love. Um, I see what else again? Who else is giving me a thumbs up? Okay. All right. So you are with me. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Okay, I see your hands up. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so let's proceed. So remember, prayer first does something to you, in you, sorry, before it does something for you. So I want us to look at five things, five things that prayer would do in you okay five things that prayer would do in you all right so we are going to go on this journey together and stay right on this flight number one thing that prayer would do or i mean number one thing on my list this is not in any other order of priority this is just you know listed out okay so the first thing i have here is that a lifestyle of prayer, and, and by the way, this is five things a lifestyle of prayer will do, will do in you. And before I continue, let me say that um, we're looking at prayer as a lifestyle, not just a one-off experience or a one-off um, practice. We're looking at prayer as a lifestyle. Prayer as a lifestyle means the consistent practice of prayer, all right? So if you just pray once and you go and you don't pray again for a long time, okay, this, you will not see these results in your life. We are saying if you maintain prayer as a consistent practice, it is part of your lifestyle, just the same way eating is a part of your lifestyle. Um, um, going to work is, is a part of your lifestyle. Um, exercise is a part of your lifestyle. So we are saying if you practice prayer as part of your lifestyle, you will get these kind of results, okay? So the first thing I have here is that a lifestyle of prayer creates a system of dependence on God and not your flesh, okay? Your flesh here means your wisdom, your intellect, anything that, that stems up from you, that originates from you, 
That is what I just capture in summary as your flesh, all right? So a lifestyle of prayer creates a system that is dependent on God and not your flesh. Um, we don't have time to do an, to do a study in the book of Genesis, but let me say something. That right from the fall of man, okay, after Adam and Eve sinned, there was a consciousness of self that they imbibed. And that self-consciousness um, inspired them to create solutions that, that were independent of God, inspired them to create solutions that emanated from themselves. And that is one of the char characteristics of the fallen nature. The fallen nature wants to be self-dependent rather than God-dependent. And the divine nature, right, the eternal nature of God in us requires us to be dependent on God. So there's a, there's a war in our, in our system, in our bodies, right? There's a desire by, for our flesh to be dependent on God, and then there's a requirement for our spirits to be dependent on God. The only way we can escape the in, inherent nature of the flesh to be self-dependent is when we create a system of prayer, or rather a system of dependence, and that system of dependence is created through prayer, okay? If you are not prayerful, right, you would naturally gravitate towards sustaining yourself rather than depending on God for sustenance. And you see this in, um, again, in the life of Adam and Eve, that when they sinned, right, and they realized that they were naked, the first thing they did was to find, try to find a solution for themselves. And they went to pluck leaves and, and take, take leaves and cover their nakedness. And God looked at them and said, oh dear, you could not understand that in the next two days, these leaves will shrink and it will be nothing. So God himself had to kill an animal and use the animal skin to cover their nakedness. That was God providing a solution for them. And by the time you pro progress to see the descendants of, of, um, of Adam and Eve, right? It got to a generation where people began to live independent of God. They began to create systems and structures independent of God. And that was a real problem with the Tower of Babel. It wasn't that God... God, it wasn't that um, God was against them just building a tower as it were, but God was against them building a tower that was going to make a name for themselves. God wanted man to derive his name from God himself, but man at that point was beginning to build a system to create a name for himself by himself. So that whole system of self-dependence is the nature of the fallen man. And it, even as we, when we give our lives to Christ, Without the consistent practice of prayer, we will fall prey to the nature of the fallen man, which wants to be self-dependent. So the lifestyle of prayer creates a system of dependence on God and not ourselves. One of the things that prayer does is that prayer tells you that of your own self, you can do nothing, right? Of, on your own, you are, you are nothing on your own. So prayer, you know, it is impossible for someone to pray effectively if he believes He's, he's sufficient in himself. I mean, why will I need God? Need God? I know this is why Jesus Christ said it is difficult for a person who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because once you have money and you are trusting in your money, what are you praying for? It's almost like saying you want a Bill Gates to pray. Like what? So, I mean, if, if he was dependent on his money, what would he be praying for? Okay? And that's why it's difficult for rich people or people rather, people people who depend on money, all right? No, not necessarily rich people, but people who depend on money um, to enter the kingdom of God, all right? Because they will depend on their 
on their financial power, depend on your connections and, and all of that. Okay, so let's read John chapter 5, verse 30. Someone should please read for me. I am going to call your name if nobody volunteers. So please, someone read for me, John chapter 5, verse 30. Someone please read for us if you're there. John chapter 5, verse 30. Thank you. I can do nothing on my own. I mm -hmm. judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Praise God. Thank you very much for that. So Jesus, this was Jesus Christ speaking, by the way, and he starts this verse by saying, I can of my own self do nothing. And Jesus Christ, Jesus' life on earth gave us a pattern to how we should live, right? And so when we look at this, we see that Jesus Christ, though he was God, right? But because as, as long as he was on earth, he said, I can of myself do nothing. Meaning I only see, I only do what I see. There's a system of dependence that I, I have placed on God, all right? And he says, I can of myself do nothing. He says, as I hear, I judge, meaning my judgment is not of myself, is what I hear that I judge. So the question is, what, what, how does he hear? What is the practice that helps him hear? And like you, your guess is as good as mine. The practice that helps him hear is the practice of prayer. It is in the place of prayer that he hears. And the word here is there doesn't necessarily refer to auditory um, perception, but it refers to every perception in the realm of the spirit. So in the in the realm of the spirit, when we pray, we perceive from God. We open our hearts to perceive from God, and then we act on the perception we have from God. So we don't just wake up to do what we like, right? Um, we perceive from God in the place of prayer, and then we act it out. That is the system of dependence on God. And he said something here that, he said, I seek not to do my own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. So just by was saying, I'm not here to do my will, all right? When you go to Mark, Mark, Matthew, sorry, chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus Christ, while teaching us the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, he says, thy will be done. So it is in the place of prayer that we enforce the will of God, but it begins by if the revelation of God's will. So when Jesus Christ said, I do not do my own will, I do the will of the Father, how does he know the will of the Father, or how does he enforce the will of the Father? It's in the place of prayer, because Jesus Christ taught us to pray and say, and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? So number one point here is that number one thing here on my list that um, a lifestyle of prayer will do in you is that it will create in you a system of dependence. And let me say this, right? Especially as you begin to grow in life, as you begin to rise in life. So let's say, um, let's say for instance, you were collecting a salary of... Um, a salary of $2,000 monthly, okay? And let's say you, you're managing that, managing that, you know, keeping up keeping up with it. And then promotion comes and your salary hits $8,000 monthly. There's a high tendency for, for your, your prayer life to drop and in very practical ways. Because if, for instance, you were with your former salary, it was not, you were barely scratching your, your scratching to meet your needs, right? That on its own would push you to a place of prayer because you pray and say, Lord, provide for me, Lord, send me help, or open my eyes to other sources of income. By the time, and again, that's your need has a has your need has a powerful way of pushing you to pray. But when you begin to rise and you begin to get, for in my example, now you get eight thousand dollars per month, 
your needs now are comfortably being met. You before, if you were going to, if you wanted to plan a vacation trip, you would literally pray for wisdom to make sure your money is enough. You will pray for provision that sorry to be enough. But now you are earning eight thousand. You almost don't need to even pray. You just wake up one morning and say, "I want to go on vacation." And comfort, right, has a way of depriving you from the need to pray. So the more you rise in life, you need to be careful. That's why Jesus Christ in his parable of the seed and the sower said that he's a, there's a group of people who the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world. So it's possible for the deceitfulness of riches to choke your, your practice in prayer, right? Okay, so let's move on. Move on to number two. Okay, there's something I said here though. Um, 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 under this point, I said here that at the core of every spiritual exercise is the departure from self-dependence to God-dependence. Okay? I take that again. At the core of every spiritual exercise is the departure from self-dependence to God-dependence. And let me say this here, and you, you observe all through the practices um, of spiritual exercise that we would explore, you see that every practice aims to take us away from self-dependence to God-dependence, right? From being self-dependent individuals to God-dependent individual. Think about it. Studying the word of God takes you away from depending on your own knowledge and understanding to depending on the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Prayer takes you from depending on your ability to depending on God. The same thing too with fasting. Fasting takes you from depending on the strength of your flesh to, be, to depend on the strength of the spirit. Giving takes you from depending on your resources to depending on God's supply, even when God provides the resources for you, all right? So every practice that results in spiritual exercise, every practice rather that is a spiritual exercise would seek to, to take you away from um, depending on yourself to depending on God. So I just wanted to state that out here uh, as, we, as we proceed. Number two, what would a lifestyle of prayer do in you, right? A lifestyle of prayer converts the potential, right? And I put potential in, in quotes, potential of, your, of eternal life in you to begin to manifest. A lifestyle of prayer converts the potential of eternal life in you um, to begin to manifest, right? To convert it from potential to kinetic, right? And what this simply means is that the Bible says, um, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, right? Um, the Bible lets us know that we are partakers of the divine nature, okay? It says through his, his, great, and through his great and precious promises, um, we are partakers of the divine nature, meaning that God has given us eternal life. Eternal life means the life of God. That means the, the very life that God carries, okay? However, this eternal life is given to us in a potential states okay so just like in science you have potential energy energy and you have kinetic energy potential energy is energy that is at rest kinetic energy is energy that is in motion so it is the same way the eternal life that we receive would remain dormant unless we activate that potential it is there the possibilities are, are there the possibilities are endless okay but if we don't activate it somehow it will always remain a potential rather than a, an actual experience that we have in our lives. So what converts that potential to an actual experience is a lifestyle of prayer. Mind you, I did not just say a one-time prayer or a season of prayer. 
I'm saying a lifestyle of consistent prayer. Because many of the things that God has planted in our hearts, the possibilities that God has planted in our spirit, there are possibilities as potential. In fact, some of you might have had dreams where you see yourself ministering to multitudes, ministering to, um, to a crowd. Maybe you're ministering in songs to a crowd of people and you see them being blessed. God has revealed that to you. That vision or that dream is very valid. However, if for that dream or that vision to become a practical experience, you need a consistent lifestyle of prayer. It is in the lifestyle of prayer that that deposit will begin to find expression um, from the inside of you, okay? So let's read John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. The book of John, chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. Anyone there should please read as always. John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. John 15, 4 to 5. Mm -hmm. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you mm. cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the well, vine. Please charge. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Praise Jesus. So this was Jesus Christ. Um, this was Jesus Christ teaching. Um, speaking to his disciples, and um, the, from here to verse 17, right, is an extensive teaching before he left. But he says something very powerful that I want us to, to, I want to place emphasis on. And he said here that, he says, first of all, abiding me, he gives the analogy that he's the vine, right, and we are the branches, okay? And you, you can tell, right, from, from simple agriculture, when you see a branch, when you see a tree, the same nutrients that flow from the trunk, which is the vine, is the same nutrient that flows into the branches, all right? And it is the branches that bear the fruit. The fruits hang off the branches. The branches bear the fruit, not, not the trunk. So just Christ is saying, in essence, that I am the vine. You are connected to me, right, um, as the branches. So the same life that flows from me flows into you. However, the only way you can bear fruit is if you cons consistently stay connected to the, to the branch, or rather to the vine, right? The only way the branches will bear fruit is if they are continuously connected to the vine, okay? And that's why he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. He then says that um, in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He says, he that abides in me and I in him, the same bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So just Christ says, the only way you can bear fruit, even though the life of God is flowing in you, the only way you can bear fruit is when you stay connected to the, to the vine, all right? So what does it mean to abide? That's the emphasis. Now, what does it mean to abide? Go to Psalm 91. I, I will just read that quickly. Psalm 91, verse 1, a popular... Um, verse of passage of scripture that we quote many times. Psalm 91, verse 1. The psalmist said here, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Okay, so if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, he says, Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Meaning, if you dwell, you shall abide. If you dwell, you shall abide. So the key to abiding, right? Aside the, um, let me put it this way. 
the initial fact that we are connected to Jesus through salvation, okay, that we have the life of Jesus in salvation, that is the first layer. But then there is now a continuous practice of abiding, okay? And let me just say something, that the way God designed eternal life is that even though it is given to you as a gift, but for the gift to be activated and produce results, you need to be in constant fellowship with the one that gave you that gift. That is the way God designed eternal life, all right? So he says here that he that dwells in the secret place shall abide. So that the practice of dwelling, right, is that is the practice of prayer. That's where I'm going to. That one of the foremost practices of dwelling in a secret place is in the practice of prayer. How do I know this? The Bible says in here that he that dwells in the secret place. When you go to the verse we, we started with, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus Christ said, when you go to pray, lock your door, go to the secret. He says, your father that sees what your prayers, what is done in secret, shall reward you. So prayer is one of the practices of the secret place, okay? And when you dwell in the secret, you shall abide, all right? Low and battery. the key to the key to um the key to manifesting the life of God, eternal life of God in you is in abiding. And the, the key to abiding is the one of the key steps of abiding is um staying in the place of prayer, is in the lifestyle of prayer. All right. I hope that's clear enough. Hope that wasn't um, too technical. So I said here that your lifestyle of prayer regulates the extent to which you manifest the life of God in your spirit. So just like I explained, life of God in your spirit, but the extent which you manifest it will be dependent on your lifestyle of prayer. And I said that you can only bear fruit to the degree to which, we, to which you abide, all right? So number three, I need to move fast. Um, time is fast paint. Number three, what prayer, what a lifestyle of prayer will do is that it will keep your flesh under. What that means is to keep your flesh under the submission of your spirit. Okay. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Let me just read this one quickly. And um, most of us already know the story. Jesus was, was about to be crucified and um, he, he was heavy in his spirit. He took his disciples, three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him mm. to go and pray. And... Um, they, they, were, they slept off pretty much. And so this is what Jesus Christ said to them at some point. He said, watch ye and pray, lest you fall into temptation or lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Some um, other, other um, gospels say the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus Christ said something. He said, pray least you fall into temptation. And this is very is a very clear and direct statement. You cannot, you have to try hard to misinterpret it. What Jesus Christ was saying is, if you do not pray, you will keep falling into temptation over and over again. And Peter fell into temptation, meaning what, what this means is, temptation here refers to the weakness of your flesh. That if you do not pray, your flesh will keep on having authority over you. You keep on falling prey to the weakness of your flesh. And again, I'm not just talking about a, a one-time prayer, okay? I'm saying a, a lifestyle of prayer. The only way you can successfully and effectively and perpetually overcome temptation is to have a lifestyle of prayer. Listen, if, for instance, somebody 
somebody was um somebody was let's say a womanizer before he gives life to christ he just like likes sleeping around with women he was promiscuous okay and then the person gives his life to christ the fact that the person has given his life to christ doesn't mean the tendency of his flesh is no longer there the tendency of the flesh to to womanize is still there is very much still there the way you keep your flesh under as a believer is through the practice and the lifestyle of prayer if not, you keep on falling to the temptations that you, you were falling into while you were an unbeliever. Okay. Um, James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 tells us something about temptation. And it's important we know this. Maybe one of these times we would have a full-fledged Bible study on temptation and how to overcome it. But yeah, I just want to say something here from James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, um, let no man say when he's tempted. I am tempted of God. He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he anyone. Okay? Verse 14 says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and is enticed. Meaning every temptation originates from a lust that is inherent in your flesh. And let me say this, that people's lusts are different. For some people, money doesn't move them. But once they see woman, ha. Their body just go pim 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 pim. The antenna shoots up. For some people, women don't move them. Money doesn't move them. But they like the ego of being recognized. That's the pride of life. They want to be. They want to be. They want when you hail them. They say ah. You know, in 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 western part of Nigeria, they will say ah or mobaba, twali twali. They will do all of that. They like that. So it feeds their ego. Their egocentric. That is, you know, the Bible says every man is drawn is an, is drawn away by his own lust. So lust is personal. That's what I'm trying to bring to you. What will be lost, what will constitute lust for someone else may not constitute lust for you. And you need to be aware of this. Without a lifestyle of prayer, you keep falling into your own lust. Okay? And you need to be really, you really need to be aware of this. Prayer is the only way, the lifestyle of prayer is the only way we, we can consistently exercise our victory over sin. If not, you keep having these circles of up and down, up and down, falling into temptation today. Tomorrow, you are high spiritually. You now fall into temptation. You are high again. Mm -mm. The antidote to that is a lifestyle of prayer. Okay? And I said here that without a lifestyle of prayer, you keep falling back into your old sins. And please don't forget this. The moment you begin to, to feel comfortable and say, oh, you know, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I don't need to pray. And the days go by without you praying. I assure you, Temptation, your lust, eh? your own loss is locking around the corner. Okay? And you really need to be aware of this. So if you are, if you used to be an angry person, easily angered, prayer suppresses that tendency to be angry. It keeps the flesh under. The moment you begin to go long without prayer, you energize your flesh. And one day you, you will shock yourself. You yourself will be shocked. You know how we say it in Nigeria? It shock you. It will shock you one day. All right, meaning that you just be, you will surprise yourself by what you do when you stay away from prayer for a bit. So lifestyle of prayer is super important. Okay, quickly moving to number four. Um, a lifestyle of prayer ensures you are alert and sensitive to discern the current season and move of God in your life. The Bible talks, and I didn't put this quote here, but the Bible talks about the men of Issachar who knew the times and the seasons, and the, their brethren were at their command. 
one of the things prayer does is that it keeps you spiritually alert. That's why Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 14, verse 8, where we read, he said, watch and pray. So there's an alertness that comes from a lifestyle of prayer. Many times people miss the seasons of their lives or miss the movement of God in their environment. Maybe God is nudging them in a new direction or God is bringing something new to their environment and they miss it because they don't have a consistent life of prayer. And let me tell you this, God will not announce when he's doing something new. He will do it and it is left for you to perceive it. And if you, what, what I mean by that is God is not going to come and send a prophet and say, oh, my son, my son, I'm doing something new. Start, no, 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 no. Let, look at what, let me read, um, um, what's the scripture? Isaiah 40, please help me now. The scripture that says, behold, I do a new thing. Um, don't you see it? This is Isaiah, I should get it. Isaiah 40, is it 53 now, verse 18 or 48, verse. People of God, help me. Let me find the scripture quickly. Behold, I do a new thing. Isaiah um, 43, verse 18 and 19. Thank you, thank you very much. God bless you here. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. So this is what he says. He says, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. He says, behold, I do a new thing. So he says, behold, I do a new thing. So don't forget what is in, um, forget what's in the past. I, I'm doing something fantastic. I'm doing something tremendous. Look at what he now says. He says, now, um, now it shall spring up. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. My emphasis is on that word, verse 19, that says, behold, meaning observe. Can't you see that I'm doing a new thing? All right. And many times people miss the seasons of their lives because they are not sensitive to observe. They are not sensitive to behold that God is doing a new thing in their lives. And the, one of the ways that we stay sensitive and alert in the realm of the spirit is through a constant, frequent practice of prayer. It lightens your spirit and makes you aligned enough to discern what God is doing, okay? So I'm gonna move quickly to the next step, to the next point. Um, number five, which is the last, um, last thing on my list here, is that, and this is really powerful, please, you, you, you really need to get this. A lifestyle of prayer makes power available in your life. I cannot say this enough. See, if you only wait to if you only wait to pray when there's a problem, a problem will come that will overtake you before you have the time to pray. Your lifestyle of prayer will sustain you. Okay, it will make power available in your life. You know, the, uh, in in science, we define power to be the ability to do work. Okay, the ability to do something is what what power is. That is what it is as well in the realm of the spirit. There are many things you want to do, right? And you keep hitting a brick wall if power is not available in your life. So you need power. Listen, and I'm not even just talking about um, obvious things like casting out demon or doing ministry or, or those obvious um, scenarios. I'm saying even things like <clears throat> getting a promotion, making advancement in your career, taking a leap of faith in your, in your work with God or your life or your business. I'm saying those things require power. And the way you make power available is in a lifestyle of prayer, okay? You know, for instance, I have a bottle of water here. Um, okay, you, the label is covering the level, of, the level of water, so you might not see it, but just follow me with this. Every time you pray, it's like pouring, pouring, pouring um, water into this bottle, okay? 
Let's assume this is the water that you need to run your engine or to run your car, okay? So every time you pray, you keep pouring, okay, let's call it fuel. You keep pouring fuel into this bottle, you keep pouring diesel or petrol or gas, whatever it is. You keep pouring into this bottle and your life naturally consumes power. Let me just say this. Your day-to-day -day living consumes power. Just the same way your car, driving your car automatically consumes fuel. And every now and then you need to go to the filling station to top up your fuel. That is the same way that your daily living, I'm not saying you're, you're not doing anything spectacular. You're not going to minister to the sick or minister to um, people or do an outreach or do evangelism. I'm saying your daily living, you wake up, you go about your day, you come back. Your daily living requires a level of power, a measure of power. What a lifestyle of prayer does is that it's your a lifestyle of prayer makes sure that your level of power is constantly enough to see you through your day, okay? And when you are now going to do extra things at exact power, for instance, you know how um, you, have, you have your normal energy in the day, but when you go to workouts, it consumes more power because you are doing extra work, okay? It is the same way too when, you know, pastors, ministers, evangelists, and the rest go, to, go out to minister. They pray extra because they need an extra dose of power available for the extra activities they are going to do. But however, even if you're not a minister or you're not, you don't have a public ministry, your personal life requires a level of, of power. So a lifestyle of prayer ensures that the level of power in your life is more than enough for your constant, for your daily needs. But the moment you begin to miss out on prayer, okay, let's say your level of, your, your level of power was at this point. Okay, at, let me, hope you guys can see this. Your level of power was at this point. You miss out in a prayer one day, it drops. Prayer second day, it drops. After a month, you find out that your tank is so low. And what happens is when you run on low tank, one day, your car will just stop, all right? Meaning that different things will begin to happen to you that you might not be aware of. So a lifestyle of prayer ensures that power is made available in your life, okay? So James chapter 15, verse 16, let me read this. I want to read from... Please read if you, are, if you are there from the Amplified Classic. James chapter, chapter 5, verse 16, from the Amplified Classic, if you are there. Please read for us. There's something I want to point out. James chapter confess, 5. Yeah. Confess to one another, therefore your faults, your sleeps, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Hallelujah. This is my emphasis, just that last part that says the earnest, heartfelt, it says continued prayer of a righteous man. It says it makes tremendous power available. So every time we pray as, as righteous people, every time we pray, power is made available. Now, let me say this also that I learned. Even when you are not praying for power, you are just fellowshipping with God. Power is made available. You are interceding for somebody. Power is made available. You are praying for your church or praying for other things. Power is made available. Even when you are not directly praying for the manifestation of God's power. Okay, your constant fellowship with God in the place of prayer makes power available. Listen, is there are two different things. 
It's a different thing when there is power. We all know that, oh, there's power in God. And as believers, we have power. But then it's a different case when power is available. It's like saying, yes, I have money in my bank account. But when I withdraw the money cash, the, the money is available in my hand. So it's possible that we have power, inherent power, you know, in our in Christ, because we're in Christ Jesus, there's power that God has made available to our disposal. But that power may not be available in your life part time. Prayer makes power available presently in your life. Okay. And please don't never forget this. Your daily living consumes power. Your lifestyle of prayer makes sure there's enough power sufficient to cater for your needs in, the, in your life. Um, let's read quickly Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. I am going to rush right now. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 13, and then we skip to 17 to 19. But so follow me on this, right, as I read. Luke chapter 16, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out. The he here is Jesus Christ. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. So Jesus Christ spent time in prayer, right? Verse 13, and when it was day, he came unto his disciples, and of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. So Jesus Christ had like a, had a time of prayer, a, a period of prayer overnight, and then he came down from his prayer, okay? Now let's skip to verse 17 and see the effect of his prayer. The Bible says that, and he came down, and he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon came near him and came near him and to be healed of their diseases. Meaning when Josh Christ came down with his disciples, after this moment of prayer that he had, he came down with his disciples and a multitude of people just came, rushed at him, and they came from all around, from far and near. They came to him, okay? And they came to be healed of their diseases. Look at verse 18. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, he says, and they were healed. Verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for they went virtue out of him and healed them all. Meaning this multitude of people were looking for any opportunity to touch Jesus. If, you know what this means? It got to a point where the power was so much available that Jesus didn't need to lay hands or to cast demon or do anything. If they could just touch Jesus, that was all that they needed. They didn't need Jesus to speak or to do anything. They just needed to touch Jesus. That was how much the power was made available. But how did the power, how was the power made available? It was made available in, from verse 12. He went and he spent time with God in prayer. Let me say this to you. If you don't have a lifestyle of prayer, the cares of this world will consume you. The depressions of the world, of the news, of the economy will consume you. The concerns of life will consume you. The pressure of life, of work, of parents, of responsibilities will consume you. You need to stay buoyant. You know what buoyancy means? Buoyancy means the ability to, to stay afloat on top of water, for instance. Right? So you need to be buoyant enough in the place in life. And it is prayer that gives you that buoyancy. Right? So a lifestyle of prayer makes power available in your life. Please never forget this. If you are seeing that suddenly you are becoming agitated, just little things make you angry, check it. You need to go and spend time praying with God. If you see that all of a sudden you're having depressive thoughts, 
um, any little thing, you begin to wonder what is life about, why am I here? Um, you begin to compare yourself with others and feel lower than others, check it. You need to go and spend time praying, okay? If you see that all of a sudden, someone comes to share good news with you and somehow, somehow you have to begin to feel jealous, go and check it. You need to spend time praying because without prayer, the cares of this world, the nature of, of the flesh will just consume you, all right? Okay, so I said here that, have you ever noticed that Jesus hardly prayed in public when he encountered the need to minister? Meaning that someone, for instance, came and, and said, oh, Jesus, my son is sick, heal him. Then Jesus now said, oh, my God, I wait, let me pray, let me pray. Oh, God, oh, God, fire, fire, kill, kill. No. Most times when people came to Jesus Christ with their needs, Jesus Christ administered healing to them or administered life to them or administered spiritual resources to them. Even the times when Jesus Christ prayed, check it, right? You see that most of it was prayer of thanksgiving. For instance, in the front, in, um, by the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus Christ prayed and said, Father, I thank you because you already heard me. He says, I'm only praying this for the sake of the people that are here. So Jesus Christ really didn't need to pray then. He was just giving a prayer of thanksgiving for the faith of the people that were there. But he said that, I thank God because you already heard me. That means he had done a prayer prior to that moment, okay? When he was going to break the loaf and the fishes to feed the 5,000, he prayed, lifted up to God and said, Father, I give thanks. He gave thanks to God and then he broke it. Most of Jesus' prayer in public, if not all of his prayer in public, was a prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus Christ hardly ever prayed a request in, um, in, the, in public. Why was this? Because he, he had times in the private where he spent praying. And I said here that the power was already made available before the need came. And this is how our lives should be. You really cannot predict what, what you will encounter. You cannot predict the challenges that life will throw at you. And therefore, you cannot wait for life to throw challenges at you before you pray. You will be a victim if you do that. All right? So you need to pray, make power available as a daily lifestyle so that when the challenges come, all you are doing is you are administering power. It's like me, like, like me saying, like I, if I invite you to my house, for instance, I say, oh, come to my house, come and visit me. What, the, what I would logically do is I will prepare either food or whatever I want to entertain you with. I will prepare it before you come. It's not when you come now and I start saying, oh, you are here. Ah, let me go to the kitchen and start cooking. No, I would most likely prepare it before you come. That is the same way power should be. We should make power available before challenges come so that we can see effective results, all right? So I have a question for us to discuss as we conclude, all right? And this is where we get very practical. So I've been talking and talking and talking. So now it's time to get practical. So this is the question to all of us right now. And please, I would really love to hear our own feedback. Please don't feel shy. Please share your, your, your feedback, your practice, and, and you know your own practices here. What are some practical tips that help you pray effectively, okay? So in your life, you know, when you go to pray, what are, what are some of the things you do that helps you to pray effectively or that helps you um, keep maintain consistency in the place of prayer? What are some of, the, some of the tips that you can share to us? So please, this is where everybody is free to talk. Um, just let us know, raise your hand or anything. Just let me know and um, I'll call on you. So yeah, the floor is open. Please go ahead. What are some of the practices that helps you 
pray effectively or that helps you um, yeah pray effectively okay um d please go ahead you can just tell us your name and then go ahead and share um d your hands or oh, please please your mic you're muted so you might want to unmute your mic okay can you hear me now yes we can hear you i believe for me uh thank you it's one thing that motivates me or help me feel better when I okay, hold on please one second so your voice is a bit more food um i don't know if you can speak closer to your mic or just so i can hear you clearly Better. Oh, yes, absolutely. Better. Okay, one thing that helps me is when I find myself in the midst of um, small groups. Yes, in the midst of brethren, small groups, I am able to pray better in such mm. fellowship. And, and I get this spur from there. And Okay, are you there? Find out that as much as possible, I to always engage with brethren in small groups, not very big prayer meetings. Yes, that's okay. it. Awesome, awesome. I, I didn't, we didn't get your real name, your full name, just for the record. Um, D, okay, I was asking for your name, your full name or your real name. Yeah, my name is David. 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 Okay, okay, thank David, you. So, David, okay, awesome. Thank you very much for your contribution. So, David says, being in the yeah. midst of um, fellow believers or small group of believers helps him pray, you know, ignite, ignite the fire. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Esosa, your hand is up. Please go ahead and share with us. Okay, uh, good evening, Victor. Good to be here. Good evening. Uh, this, before I even say what I want to say, I want to thank you so much. It was extremely powerful. I've been doing um, every uh, study on prayer, like studying it again. And, uh, you know, growth has made me see how much I didn't understand the first time. So what you thought this night just, you know, puts a lot of things together. Um, because of the struggle through the years, I've had many practical experiences and practical things that have helped me. So let me let me mention a few. Right. One of please forgive me, I'm driving, so you may hear some, some feedback. Um, one of the things that really helped me maintain consistency in prayer is uh, let me not say consistency yet. One of the things that makes prayer extremely exciting for me is uh, there are certain songs that have a way of stirring you up, right? So um, they worship generally, but there are certain songs that they are less of worship, but they are more of stirrers, right? So uh, I don't know the song. Let me give an example. Something, a song about um, holy fire born upon my altar, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's not exactly praising God in a sense, but the song has a way of igniting you to a point of, you know, just wanting to pray and to bust out, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, our sister Victoria, um, Theophilus, there are a lot of people like that, though. Um, um, Bethel, uh, yeah. Jesus Culture, they, those songs, they have a way of, um, uh, will I say, gingering you up. So normally I start 
um, I normally start that way. And then after a while, I would, I would notice that I now enter like an autopilot phase, you know, um, prayer and all. And then from there, it's, it's a lot, lot easier to continue. Most times, yeah. it's the starting that is the most discouraging part, you know. So standing up from your bed, you know. Uh, but once you're able to use worship to stir yourself up, it's mm. almost like stirring yourself up, right? It becomes yeah. easier to continue. Then, um, on the practical side, um, from the from someone who works in the corporate world, I found that some very simple tips help. For example, you may be very tired when you get back to work from work. So, one thing I have done, I tried to do, is to sleep early. Right? But there are also times where you can't sleep early immediately you get home. So one of the things that really helped me is, as simple as it is, is taking a bath, for example, right, before you pray, rather than coming in tired and sweaty and trying to go mm -hmm. straight to the place of prayer, right? Mm -hmm. You will notice you have less bodily distractions. For the disciples uh, that were sleeping, my, my conclusion is that the meal they ate at the last supper <laughs> added a lot of it made it harder for them to stay awake when, <laughs> when Jesus told them to pray. So that shows you the power of the human body over, yeah. right, over some of the activities we will to do. So, yeah, those are some of the... For consistency... Um, yeah, please go ahead. Sorry. Okay, no, no. I thought we were done. I thought we were done. Okay, okay. Let me, let me stop there because of time. I think there are others. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. And I, I, I really like it because they are actually practical. So thank you so much for that. Um, God bless you. Who else wants to share practical tips that help you pray or help you maintain consistency? Um, who is speaking, please? Yeah, my name is Ebenezer. Okay, hi Ebenezer, go ahead. Okay. Um, so this is my observation with myself that when I was at a particular age, prayer came in a different way. When I grew, like everything just changed. But I think for me, it's my ability to, to know what, what works for me in the different seasons of my life, yeah? Mm -hmm. So they, there's a time that I have to fast and pray to help me really get into prayer the way I want to. And then there's some other times that I didn't need so much of fasting. I just needed to be in the right environment. Mm -hmm. So something that helped me is knowing what works for the season that I'm in. Then during my work hours, when I'm working or when I'm eating or bathing or doing something that's not necessarily spiritual in quotes, I make sure there's prayer in the background. Like I, I lived on, on other people's prayer, maybe programs that have to do with prayer or messages. It just keeps my spirit active or alive and easy flowing. So when it's not time for my own personal prayer, it's not hard. My spirit has content to fetch from. Mm. Then another thing that I realized, this one happened recently, and I just something I want to share with everyone. I woke up one time, I just couldn't pray like fervently the way I want, and it was bothering me. I was fasting, it wasn't working. I was praying, it wasn't, you know, I'm like, what's going on? You know, I was tired and it's just not working. And I was just telling the Holy Spirit, then I had the voice say, 
you want it to be this, but you just sit down and talk to me. Okay. You know, that thought just entered my heart. So I took a chair. My prayer time is in the night. I took a chair, literally sat outside in my house and just said, thank you to God. Say, God, you know, I thought, thank you for today. Today just went somehow. And I'm just saying, God, you know, I just don't know why, but I really wish that you do this for me, do this for me and do that for me. And just check this out and help me, let me see. And as I'm just talking, I did not know, like when I'm talking, I don't know the power or the weight of what's going on. But I've been there like three hours. And when I stand up, I feel so powerful. You know, I feel so energized. So for me, that time now became like a saving grace. I didn't lose my prayer life in court. I look forward to my talking time with God. It's not like the normal and you're screaming and shouting, yeah? But it's so intimate, it's so real. And I get answers like instantly. Like I get answers very quickly. So for me, just knowing the different styles that work. But I think in all, if you have it in your heart, God will help you. If you seek Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing, Ebenezer. Um, awesome, awesome tips. Thank you very much. Okay, um, Esther, I don't know if you were trying to say something, but we couldn't hear you. Um, can you be clearer, please? Uh -oh. We we are struggling. Trying to see. First, I want to. Hello. Yes, go ahead, please. Yes. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Go ahead, please. Okay. First, I want, I want to thank that brother that gave practical um, tips. I, so um, I would have loved to say a lot to add to what he said, but let me just thank you, brother. I've forgotten your name. Um, <laughs> the Bible says it can change a thousand, two tens of thousands. So one of the ways I keep my prayer life on is by having a group that we pray along with. Um, I, I'm that kind of person that um, by myself, I to pray like that, but I pray very well when there's somebody together, we're together. And I want to thank God for the revival that is going on in Nigeria, especially. We have mm -hmm. many prayer um, platforms that are online now. So even if I don't have somebody physically with me, I can I have a prayer partner online and I'm really happy with the revival that is going on. So I can download and pray later in the night, you know. I just mm -hmm. want to stop the thank you. Thank you very much. Very much. So praying with other people help you. Helps you rather. Okay, so I'll take two more people um before we go. One share some of the tips that help you pray effectively. Anyone wants to share their experiences? Okay, for me, um for me, is the people have said like basically the worship songs really helped energize. And in fact, when he said Victor Rinzi, I, I shouted from here, like, I was like, yes, because they're just some songs that she's not actually really, but she's just saying, praying the Holy Spirit, and you just the fire, everything just boosts you. Um, then, um, like I mentioned earlier, even going back to this uh programs, our podcasts here. It has really helped me. Sometimes I'm alone. I just replay like one of our prayer sessions, you know, just to encourage me. Uh, morning prayers, like someone has also mentioned, even just walking around the house and just having it play behind you, 
you know. And then one other thing again that I really found that is when you have a word from God, it actually gives you this confidence to approach. So I think that's one thing that if that I've noticed. So once I have a word, I just come and you have that confidence to really, you know, remind God that this is what you have, you know, given me. And just pray with that much confidence. So for me, those are the things that I encourage um, in my life. Thank you very much. Awesome. One last person before we round up. One last person wants to share. Um, uh, Mrs. Agape, are you saying something? Uh, okay, we can't hear you. If you're saying something, we are not hearing you yet. Um, Hi. Okay. Hi, Oduayo. Good evening. Sorry, good, um, good evening, good afternoon from here. Oh, good afternoon. Uh, just, <laughs> I just wanted to say that um, because here it, it, it's a bit different when everything is pretty intense. You're trying to double up two ships, um, trying to build up this and all that. What everybody has said is very helpful for me in terms of my own is worship, like praises. I am so, so in love with that. And that always just, again, like you said, just gingers me to, you know, it's not like like my slides take off stage. Because mm -hmm. the praise always hits differently. And then when that happens, it just helps me to flow into prayers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just thought I should say that. Well, yeah, praises for me is, 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 is a ginger. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you. It's almost like a catalyst that speaks of the rate of prayer reaction um, in your heart. All right, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. Um, I mean, you have literally covered, if not everything, then almost everything I have on my slides. So let me even see what else is left. Um, I, I doubt there's much left on my slides. I'll, I'll just wrap up with the tips that I wrote here. I had very few tips. Okay, the first thing I have here is have a schedule or a routine, okay, and possibly a defined place. It is difficult to practice what you leave to chance. So have a set time of prayer. If you're praying 6 p.m., 9 p.m., 5 a.m., 12 midnight, whatever time is your, is your time of prayer, let it be defined. Now, there's a, high, there's, a, there's a tendency that you might not always meet up to that time, but having a fixed time mentally um, makes you prepare and also let your body to be prepared for that experience of prayer, okay? That's one point I have here. Um, put away distractions, especially phones, okay? Um, our phones beep here and there, so we won't put away distractions. You might want to put your phone on silent just in case you're reading your Bible from your phone or you're playing music from your phone, but you can turn off your internet or your notifications and other things, all right? So put away distractions, people, phones, TV, and all of that. Um, aim for consistency, okay? And this is where the first point comes in handy, that's having a routine. Start with a comfortable duration. So <clears throat> for instance, if where you can start with right now is 30 minutes of prayer every day, start with 30 minutes of prayer. Don't look, try to be like brother ABC or pastor XYZ and say, I want to pray three hours a day. You might just be discouraged because you fail. So start with a time that you can comfortably dedicate, okay? So let's assume it's 30 minutes. As you are consistent with 30 minutes, what will happen is that at, with, the, with consistency comes an increase in desire. And that's the way prayer works. If you are consistent with 30 minutes, 30 minutes every day, you will notice at some point that 30 minutes will no longer be enough. 
So naturally, you exceed 30 minutes, maybe move to one hour, two hours, and, and on and on, okay? So start with um, a consistent time. And I said here that consistency is more powerful than having prayer spikes. What I mean by prayer spikes is, have you ever seen a graph that goes up like this and then, whoop, you know, goes, shoots up and comes down and goes glow low and then shoots up again? No. God would rather you have an upward ascending graph than just a sinusoidal graph of prayer, okay? If you get what I mean. So consistency, praying 30 minutes every day consistently is more powerful than praying five hours once every two weeks. Do you get that? So praying 30 minutes constantly every day is way more powerful in your life than praying five hours once, and then the next time you pray is next two weeks, okay? So aim for consistency. And lastly, sorry, I'm not sure what I did now. Um, lastly, I said here that, hold on guys, one minute. Sorry about that guys. Um, sorry, let me go back to this slide. Okay. So the last thing I said here is, so last thing is what we've already talked about. Keep a praying company. It's, it is contagious. Prayer is a contagious practice. If you have a friend that prays or if you have a group of, group of people that pray, the fire will naturally, you know, um, catch you if I put it that way. So it's easier to remain prayerful when you're among people that are prayerful. All right. So thank you very much, everyone. This is conclusion. I want to leave us with one prayer point and I'll allow you to go and pray it. A very simple but powerful prayer point. Pray this and say, Lord, make me a man or a woman of prayer. It is a super important prayer point. Okay. All right. So let's say a word of prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today's Bible study. Thank you for all that you have taught us. Thank you for the release of your spirit. Thank you for insight, understanding, and illumination. We ask, dear Holy Spirit, that you help us to be effective in our practice of prayer. Help us to maintain consistency in our place of prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that um, wherever we have lapses and weaknesses, we receive grace from you to, strength, to be strengthened and um, to continue in the path of prayer. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. All right, just before we go, um, is there anyone who is joining our Bible study for the very first time? Please introduce yourself, tell us where you're joining us from, and who invited you. If you are joining us for the very first time, please tell us your name, um, introduce yourself, there and tell us who invited you and where you're joining us from. Okay, hello, good evening. My name is Esosa. Um, I'm joining in from Lagos, Yaba, Lagos, and uh, Victor invited me. That's awesome. a Thank you. Welcome, Esusa. Please let's welcome Esusa in the group chat in the chat. Um, you're highly welcome, Esusa. Anyone else joining us today for the first time? Anyone else joining us for the first time? Um, kindly introduce yourself and let us know where you're joining us from. Just in case you are speaking, the mic is muted, so we might not hear you. All right. All right. My name is David Honor. I'm joining in from just 
Nigeria, Esther Aja invited me. You're welcome. Please let's welcome Mr. David um, to the group. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, good to have you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Anyone else like that? First time joining us today? Okay, no one. All right, so right now in the group, I'm sending, I'm dropping um, just useful links, two links I'm dropping, links to our podcast where you can listen to the previous sessions and previous Bible studies we'll be having for so many months now. If I had checked the record, we have over 32 Bible study sessions you can literally binge on, okay? So uh, that's on the podcast. And also to join our WhatsApp group where we communicate um, to everybody, right? So the links are right here in the, in the chat. So look at the chat. The links are there before we end the meeting, all right? So thank you, everyone. It's good to have us here today. Next week, we're going to look at fasting as a spiritual exercise. So please don't miss it. Do well to invite a friend and um, God will richly reward you. All right. So have a good night or good day, everyone, depending on the time where you are at. Bye. See you next week. God bless you.